Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you grow up in an immigrant household, the parent-to-child dynamic completely shifts. Like, my mom didn't speak English to understand the basics, let alone to understand the system. Right. So when I was six, seven, eight, I was the one telling my mom, like, sign this permission slip. Like, mm. this is what I need. And so it kind of created this gritty person yeah. that I am now. And then seeing my mom, one time we were at Costco and she took out 23 credit cards. I counted. I counted. Oh. She literally had a deck of credit cards. And... I was probably like 12 at the time, and every time we would be at checkout, I would be mad. I would fume with rage. I don't know what it was. Like, I just knew something was really wrong yeah. in the situation. My earliest memories were weekends with mom sitting on a desk with a pile of bills and just like playing the credit card game of which mm -hmm. one had the lower balance. I didn't know what she was doing at the time. Yeah. But you can absorb the stress. Like, money right. in my right. house was always stressful. And seeing that, I was just like, I don't want to yeah. go through that. Yeah, I think it was it was a little bit of uh, survival. It's just getting over that barrier of, you know, oh, this is too hard for me, or oh, this is too scary, or oh, this is not for me, I'm not going to understand it. That's not the case at all. Everybody in this world can be an investor and manage their finances well. If you just take the time to be resourceful and jump in and do it. Welcome back to another episode of Not Your Average Joe, the podcast that'll make anyone a little less average. I'm your host, Joe Franco, and what you just heard was a snippet behind my relationship with money. This conversation about money and financial literacy is near and dear to my heart because for so many years, I was anxious about my money. I didn't have much of it, so that's problem number one. But then as I started making it, I didn't really know what to do with it. I didn't know, should I pay off debt first? Should I start investing? And this is when I started reading as many books as possible, talking to as many people that I knew would have insight to share with me. So we're going to be making the podcast episodes all about finance. Last week was about student loan debt, and today is about money management one. I sat down with Chrissy Cole, founder and CEO of Penny Finance, which is a company that specializes in exactly this, educating people on their finances. And we go down our own personal money stories from the aha moment of, oh shit, how am I going to pay these bills, to down the road where we started making a little bit more and investing. So let's get into it. Do the intro, sis. You know she's not your average Joe, not your average Joe. I want to get to know you. I mean, I've done some research and I know about your bio, but yeah. I would love to just have you introduce yourself and tell us about the cool, badass entrepreneurship, finance, money empire that you're building. My name's Chrissy Cole. I'm the founder of Penny Finance, a one-year-old startup based in Boston. Uh, but before this, I grew up on the East Coast. I, you know, studied finance in college, somehow got a job at Goldman Sachs at a college, moved to New York, 
And I spent 10 years there learning everything about investing and technology. I built trading platforms and did a lot of fun stuff there. My like nickname over all those years was um, the money therapist. I would always help all of my friends and colleagues with the money things. And that has just sort of become my life and my career. And um, now I'm on a mission to close the wealth gap get more money in the hands of women. Um, and I'm having having a ball. I also feel very near and dear to that issue because I grew up in a household, not only that was like with a single mother, but the immigrant background that I come from, that's not exactly the household that you learn about money. So anybody that's trying to educate people on money is a friend of mine. <laughs> and so in this hour conversation, I would love to just get as many tangible takeaways for people but let's do a little bit of backstory. So you went from growing up in the East Coast, your mother was financially savvy. Yes, I, I also grew up with a single mom. Um, that's probably why, why both of us <laughs> come, come to meet each other. You become just like super independent when you have a single mom. But my mom loved investing. She worked in accounting and she exposed me to investing at a really young age when I was 14. She gave me a hundred bucks and she said, go buy a stock. <laughs> so, Okay, everyone pause right now and go follow the Not Your Average Joe Pod Instagram account and comment on the last post letting us know, did you grow up in a household where money was a discussion? If you grew up in a household where money was discussed at dinner, then you probably grow up with this idea that money is your friend and it's a tool. But if you grow up in a household where money is not talked about or money is a reason for anxiety, your relationship with money is probably not ideal, which then just creates the big snowball. And that's what we're trying to rework here. I was very lucky to have her, but I also saw how she needed to make it work for me and my brother. And I've just always thought, you know, every person, man or woman should be financially independent because you just never know what's going to happen in your life. And that affords you the freedom to live the life you want. I think it's so, so, so important to have these influences in our lives that teach us about money. But in my little research, you still wound up with a bunch of debt, which is totally relatable. Oh my God, yeah. And I made so many mistakes. <laughs> Let's talk about that because before you were the woman who was heading up Penny Finance, you were a college student struggling to pay off your debt and making bad money decisions. What were those? I had a ton of student debt. I graduated from college with 120,000 in student loans. And I just thought, oh, I got a business degree. Like everything's gonna be good. But no, you move to New York City, you rent an apartment, you get your first paycheck. And I was like, oh my God, I literally don't have enough money to pay my bills. How did this happen? And so I paid for my studio apartment on my credit card, which is a big no-no, but I had no other choice. And so it all worked out because I used a 0% credit card, which is something I, I share with with our penny community a lot is when you temporarily like can't make the numbers work, which is a lot of people in this world. There are some financial tools out there to help you. I'm very lucky that I did that. So I didn't, you know, have ridiculous interest payments and the credit cards didn't get out of hand, but I proceeded to then have so much anxiety in my twenties about money. I mean, I still have anxiety about money funding the startup. It never really goes away, but there are some lessons I've learned that I'd love to share with people because I know so many are in the same boat. You have these crazy student loans or other debt. Cost of living is ridiculous, especially if you're living in a city. How do you make it work? How do you make it work? 
Listen, if you're struggling financially right now, I just want to start off by saying, have no fear, you gon' persevere. Take it from a girl who was so broke she had to live on a friend's couch after college for a few months. And then my excitement was that I could actually afford a mattress, a twin size mattress that I bought off Craigslist to live in an apartment where I shared a room with a girl that I didn't even know with five other roommates. That to me was a win. And that was me paying my dues, literally and figuratively. Now your average Joe, tip number one. A not so average Joe knows that yes, there are always gonna be circumstances out of our control. We don't get to choose the household we were born in. We don't get to choose the financial situation we inherited. But what we can do is always choose to educate ourselves because the number one way you're gonna stay down in the rut is by being ignorant and not in the bad way. It's just people don't teach you these things, which is why I'm gonna be listing my favorite financial literacy books in the description of this pod. Let's keep on learning y'all. If you don't mind me asking, what was your starting salary when you graduated from business school? $57,000. And this was almost 12 years ago. I thought that was so much money. It is. Like, if you think about the goal, I remember when I graduated, I was offered a $45,000 salary. I also went to yep. business school and I turned it down and I was a crazy person. And I moved to LA and started a YouTube channel and was able to kind of like scrape together these different <laughs> deals to make my salary. But $45,000 to me sounded huge. I was also living in New York mm -hmm. and it was like, wow, this is the dream come true. And now you're telling me that you were offered and accepted $57,000 and you're barely scraping by. Yes. How insane yeah. is this? It's insane. And look, like, did I need to live in a studio apartment in Manhattan? Probably not. But, you know, you're starting your career and you want to, I wanted to be close to work so that the community was really short. And I didn't have a roommate yet. And that's just the life in New York City. I probably could have lived somewhere else. But, you know, it's it's hard you want the, you want all these things and you dream of this life and then the reality sets in and then the loans were really the big issue right because i had to make those payments every month because i knew if i didn't they were never going to go away so that's really what made it so difficult so there was really not a lot, a lot of money left over in that paycheck to pay the bills pay the loans and contribute to your 401k, which is the number one thing I want every 22 year old in this world to do. What do you think was the piece of advice that was missing? Like what was missing? What was the disconnect between young, eager Chrissy, I'm gonna go get my business degree to like, holy shit, I'm in debt. Like how did that drastically yeah. change? What was missing? And what advice would you give to your early 20 something self? I think just like taking a step back, I think in high school and college, they don't teach you personal finances and they don't sort of explain to you, oh, you're going to get a paycheck, but they're going to take out FICA and Medicare and Social Security and taxes. And that $57,000 salary is not that $50,000 salary. So don't use that number to try to budget your life. Also, these loans you're taking out, yeah, you're in school and learning and it's amazing and the whole world is in front of you, but nobody tells you you have to pay these things and the payment is ridiculous, I probably wouldn't have gone to a private school. I would have gone to a state school or I probably wouldn't have maybe lived in New York City, could have stayed in Boston and the numbers might have worked better. So I just think we need more education, high school and college or even just more conversation about the realities of these things because I think when you turn 22 and you get into the real world it, it just comes at you like a ton of bricks even though I was raised to talk about this stuff and learn about this stuff 
since I was, I was a little girl. That's the shock to me. Because for me, I went to a private business school as well, and I did everything I could to scrape by. And I remember when I went there for the, you know, orientation, I'm like, I don't care if I just scrub the floors of these stairs, I'm gonna find a way to pay. And crazy enough, I did. Like, I, I worked jobs as an RA, a resident advisor, so that took care of my dorm room and gave me money for a meal plan I was an orientation leader so that gave me an extra boost in finances I was a desk attendant during the summer so I could live in Manhattan over the summer Mm -hmm. so I definitely found ways to hack as many things as I could but at the end of it I still had sixty thousand dollars of debt and I kind of and maybe we could talk about this now I've gone back and forth asking myself is it worth it and I don't think there's a yes or no answer but I do think if I were to give myself advice back in the day, it would be like, look at your business degree as your first investment or your degree in general as an investment and look at the ROI, like what is the potential return out of college with that degree? Because I think that is the missing gap. Like you're not really educated to look at your diploma that you're going to college to get as an investment, but that's literally what it is. Yeah. I have a little motto that I'd love to share. You gotta act broke to stay rich. Now your average Joe, tip number two. When it comes to where you spend your dollars, a not-so-average Joe always considers the return on investment, especially when it comes to not only the investment of your money, but of your time, which is the only thing that you can't ever get back. When you go to university, you're investing both your time and your money. And what you should do is weigh the pros and cons and ask yourself if it's worth it. And if you're not sure, make it worth it by using all of the resources that you get access to because of the degree. Or in short, take advantage of every single opportunity that that school has to offer you. The question is, how much are you gonna pay for this degree? How much will you make after? How long will it take you to pay it off? Because if it doesn't add up, which doesn't add up for a lot of industries, even some business industries, then maybe, You shouldn't be going to that school or getting that degree or getting a different degree. We actually just did a blog post on this. It's on the Penny site about how do you figure out if if the degree is worth it. And we gave some examples of different industries and different costs. And there are some industries where it makes perfect sense, like getting a nursing degree and you need an extra year. It's not just bachelor's. The salary will support what you pay to get that degree. That makes sense. But there's so many other industries where the cost is way too much for what salary you're going to get. It's hard to have that wisdom when you're 18, you know, especially if it's something you're interested in and you love. And I mean, I love business. Like I, that is just who I am. But at the same time, like I said, did you, did I need to go to private school? Probably not. I think I would probably be in the same place. (laughs) And I have so much, I have so much money saved. (laughs) This is the tough part, especially for people like you and I who went to college in Manhattan. And I always think about my experience and how different it was from going to a state school. In my mind, I don't know, maybe this is what I think of to sleep at night, but it's like, you know, I paid for the experience of living in Manhattan. I paid to be around people who are also paying so much money, who are investing in themselves. And so you're you're kind of attracting a different pool of people because if your friends are also paying that debt, like they're going to be in the same boat as you. So you might see eye to eye on certain things. The college question is never going to be easy, but as someone who spent their first five years out of college putting every single penny aside to pay back my loans, my thought is this. If you pay, you're more motivated to find a way to repay. When you are the only one who's got your back, you're going to have your own back. So there's strength in knowing that you have it under control, even if you don't feel like you do. 
Plus, you want to be in a place where people are also investing in themselves because then your network of people, it's going to be these high performers or these high achievers or motivated people. My closest friends today, 10 years later, are all still from college because we not only shared the good times, the crazy nights, but we also shared having all that debt to pay back, which made us all achieve a lot. We're all in great places. We all have great careers. And I don't think I would have ever met these people had I not put myself in a position of extreme debt to invest in myself. Not your average Joe, tip number three. If you're in a place where you're investing in yourself, your circle of people will be people who are investing in themselves as well. And for that reason alone, to me, college was worth it. Would I have done anything differently? No, but I really want to communicate. And same as you're saying, it's like before you sign up for these loans, think about what your life after yeah. is going to look like down to the salary and the debt payment because you can only defer your loans for so long. Right. And I'd say like, Look, like I think student loans are just like a reality of 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 the world now, and like it's okay to have student loans, and I paid them off, and everyone else can pay them off too. The other thing that's missing is the the banks don't tell you how much to pay because they don't want you to ever pay them off. They want to make that interest money from you. That's how they make billions of dollars. I would say don't freak out if you have sixty or hundred or two hundred. Find out what your payment needs to be, and that's something I can walk through, and that's what Penny walks through because you can chip away at it. You just have to be paying the right amount on them and sometimes it's not a ridiculous amount it's it's an amount you can afford like $500 a month it's a matter of doing the numbers and getting the information so that you can pay them correctly because i've met so many people who they don't pay them and then they get bigger like could you imagine you start with 60 and then you end up with 200 like no thank you so there are ways to make it work and so it doesn't have to be like go to school or not go to school it's just you got just need the information so that you can be financially savvy absolutely so what question a question that i want to ask you is what was your aha money moment when did you wake up mm -hmm. and ask yourself, like, how am I going to get out of this mess? What are my action steps? It was when I got my first paycheck and saw that it was so much less than I had imagined. And I went to go pay my credit card and there was not enough money in my checking account. It was the same year, my first year in New York. And I said, holy shit, like, I can't have, I can't increase my salary this is my job. What do I do? That was my aha moment. That was a scary, scary moment of I'm on my own. I'm out of the bliss of school. Um, my paycheck is a lot smaller than I thought. Now what do I do? I definitely had that aha moment too, but mine was like filled with tears. I was like, oh my God, <laughs> what am I going to do? Yeah. I remember I've always been pretty on top of my finances, like I would always make these little lists of how much I needed in my bank account every month to survive, like the basic survival number. And while I was in college, I started paying off interest in one of my loans, right? Because you have your student loans under your names and then you have your parent plus loan that your parents supposed to pay yeah. off. So coming from my immigrant background, my mom took out the loan in her name, but I paid for it all. Yeah. So yeah. the higher interest rate was affecting me. And I remember that was the one that really killed me. I was sitting on the floor of my apartment. I shared a room with this girl in an apartment with five other people in Harlem. Oh and like twin bed I bought off Craigslist, the works. And I'm doing the math and I'm like, I need $200 to secure like this down payment on this next apartment and no one could give it to me. Mm -hmm. 
And luckily I got a text from a friend about a catering event and that like saved me. But it was a moment where I'm like, damn, I don't have enough money in my bank account. What am I going to do? It is the worst feeling and it causes so much anxiety. And what I've found with the women that we work with in our investor community, there's all the data that we look at constantly to build this business. It's like upwards of 80% of people are anxious about money. And most people would rather talk about dying than money. And it's because of that exact story that you just told. It is, it is so scary because you, it feels like you have no options, but there are so many options. And um, I just wish that people had the information sooner and didn't have to have the oh shit moments that we had when we were 22 that made us freak the F out. <laughs> so much freaking out. So much freaking out. So being the money therapist, let's talk someone off the ledge. Let's talk somebody through what to do when they have this oh shit moment. Like what is the actual step that you should take once you realize Something's got to change. I don't have enough money. What do I do next? Well, the first thing I would say is breathe and um, don't create a strict budget for yourself because that's never going to work. That's what I tried to do. That's what a lot of people try to do. But what I always tell people is like lean into your situation and learn your numbers. You, There are so many people that don't even know how much they spend on a regular basis or what things are the must-haves versus the discretionary items or like what easy little things you could cut out of your budget to have a few extra hundred dollars. Um, I hate telling people to stop spending money because I think it's one of the hardest things. Like I'm a shopper. I love to buy things. And the last thing I want to do is stop buying things. <laughs> um, I like to figure out, okay, if this is how much you're spending, let's back into how do you make that money, enough money to cover those expenses. Sometimes it doesn't work, but sometimes it's actually easier than you think. One thing that a lot of people don't know and don't do is if you get a tax refund at the end of every year, what you could do is change your withholding on your paycheck so that you don't get a tax refund at the end of the year and there's more money in your paycheck. Like That is one thing I like to tell people to do because you're making the money, it's there, but the government's holding on to it for a whole year. You could have that $200 that you needed to pay that bill in that given month. So like, that's one example of something to do. Everyone's different. Everyone's situation is different. So that's the first thing is like, know your numbers, figure out if there's anywhere you can make adjustments where you can get more income from your paycheck, or you can maybe cut a couple things out. And then the second thing I would say is debt. It's thinking about your debt, doing exactly what you did, figuring out, okay, I have these loans. What's the minimum I need to pay? And usually the minimum is, oh, it's actually okay. Like, and a lot of people try to pay so much on them because they're, they're like, get rid of these freaking things. I don't want them anymore. But if you just pay a little bit more than the minimum, you will chip away at them slowly. So um, that's always an area I find relieves a lot of people's anxiety because they quite frankly don't even know what they should be paying. And just knowing that number and setting up that number and figuring out, okay, I will do everything possible so I can pay that $500 monthly loan payment. That is what people need to do. And it's, it's the calculation is your loan times your interest rate. Pay a little, little bit more. So those are the first two things I would tell someone. And then, you know, 
another example of like a tool you can use is a 0% credit card is a financial product. That's what I use to help me in my first year where I don't love putting things on credit cards that can become very dangerous. So like be very careful with this, but you could get a 0% credit card for a year. You're not getting charged interest for that year. So it buys you the time to figure it out. Cause sometimes like me, I needed to find a roommate, you know, someone else might need to find another job or get additional jobs or, you know, who knows buying that year is extremely helpful thing. So that's, that's another thing that, and that, that also helped relieve a lot of the anxiety for me. Now your average Joe tip number four, a not so average Joe knows how to play the game, which means you got to learn the rules and then use them to your benefit. When it comes to credit cards, you got to do what's best for you. Finding those credit cards that have zero interest APR for the first year when you're in a tough spot is an example of that. But also finding credit cards that will give you benefits for spending in the areas that you spend in the most. For example, as a longtime traveler, I make sure that all of my credit cards give me more points on travel, which means if I book a flight, I get three times the points and then I can use those points to go fly somewhere for free. And that's how you hack the system. Another way to do this is by getting a credit card that has a sign up bonus right before you're making a big purchase. When I bought my house and I needed to furnish it, I looked at the credit cards that would give me the most amount of sign-up bonus points if I reached $5,000, let's say, in the first three months. I knew I was going to spend $5,000 anyways, so I might as well get 120,000 points and then fly around the world for free. And because I've been playing this game for a long time, I have my favorite credit cards and I'll link them in the description of the episode. But most important takeaway here is observe your own spending habits and find credit cards tailored to that because that's how you're gonna win the credit card game. So after the year, when the APR kicked in, what'd you do? Did you close the credit card? Yeah, I paid it off. So I moved in with a roommate and cut my rent in half into a one bedroom roommate with someone who built a wall. You know, everyone does that in New York. <laughs> um, it cut my expense in half. Um, so then my paycheck, you know, covered the rent and then some, and then I took, it took me, I think it took me like, three months longer. So I, I think I was paying interest for three months. Look, shit happens. Like it, it, you can't avoid sometimes these things, but the extra money in my paycheck paid it off. If you can't, if you can't, you could transfer it again to another 0% card, but you'll, you'll pay a little bit of a fee. Um, so that's just the biggest thing I tell people is like, that date, whenever that date is that the 0% goes back, you better have it in like seven calendars and be planning for that moment because it comes fast. I know. And that's the thing. What I want people to understand is like, you are playing a game against these financial institutions and they don't want you to win. So when you take out a credit card, you need to do the research. You need to set the calendar alerts. You need to know what your APR. They won't remind you. They you won't can't tell even you. find it in the website. Right. Like those spam mails that come in, I open all of them. And, and I'm notified of things. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. So the annual fee for Amex is going up next year, but these are the new benefits. Looks like I got to roll over my entertainment charges to that card because yeah. now it's a deduction. So it's like, it does take a little bit more of conscientious behavior. You have to do the research. Something else that I recommend for everyone, because a lot of people don't even know what they owe, is to get an annual credit report like yes. with the three credit bureaus, and that will give you the lay of the land. Yes. 
Because there might be credit cards that you took out when you were 18, like those old Navy credit cards, <laughs> the kryptonite, and those are the <laughs> scariest ones. Uh, and those are the ones that might sneak through the cracks that right. get you a collections notice that you weren't even expecting. Exactly. Do you guys have a magic number of credit cards that you recommend people to have? There's no magic number, but I like to tell people to have multiple cards for different things. Um, we find that if you have a credit card for your must pay things like stuff that never changes your insurance or your car payment or food, um, you have one card for that. Cause then it's, you don't have to budget. You can just look at your credit card every month and be like, okay, I spend 2000 a month on the essentials. Like I always need to have that amount of money seared in my brain. No math needs to be done. And then I tell people to have additional credit cards for the fun stuff. Me, for example, I have one for shopping because that's where I get into trouble all of the time. And one for Amazon because it's like too freaking easy to just one click buy everything and that adds up so fast. And I like that because I can very easily see, okay, this month I spent that. Okay, so next month I need to spend less or on average I'm spending way more on this than I thought I, you know, should. So let me keep an eye on that. And it's also good just to have a couple because they usually have different rewards programs and um, it helps build your credit. You know, it takes four years to build your credit. So it's good to like have a couple cards and you're always putting stuff on it. You're always paying it off because that helps build your credit score. Um, one thing I will say a note about credit cards is never close them ever ever, 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 unless there's like an annual fee and you're trying to save money on that because all the history gets erased. Right. And you need to have credit history, history in order to have credit in general. Yes. Let's talk about credit scores for a little bit. If you're from the U.S., then you've probably heard about this, you probably know what it is. If you're not from the U.S., then you should know that it's a number that we are all assigned as individuals that dictates our credit worthiness. On the low end, you have something like a 300 credit score. That's no good. That's basically like when someone has so many credit card bills and bills in general that they could pile it all up and turn it into a coffee table and use it as a rest for their coffee mug instead of opening the bills and paying them. With that, you're not going to get any loans. No one's going to let you borrow money. On the other end, it's like an 800 credit score. That's an excellent credit score. You're paying your bills on time and most financial institutions are going to be willing to give you money because you're good for it with a good credit score it basically says to the government and to financial institutions you good for that cash here's the breakdown of how your credit score is actually calculated 10 percent of your credit score is calculated based on new credit 15 percent is on the length of credit history which is why you don't want to close credit cards often because it'll erase all that credit 10 percent is your credit mix aka your loans your credit cards, your mortgage payments, etc. 30% is in the amounts you owe. So how much money do you actually owe? And 35%, in other words, the biggest thing that weighs down your credit score is your payment history, which is why you wanna pay in full as much as possible. And I always say that you gotta automate your life. Now your average Joe, tip number five, put everything that you owe on auto pay. Ain't nobody got time to get a bad credit score because of that one time you were at Victoria's Secret and were pressured to open the credit card and then you forgot to pay it back because of a silly pair of underwear or lip gloss. After the break, I go down memory lane telling you the story of how I opened my very first credit card. We talk about the differences between being an employee and being an entrepreneur. And we talk about the very hot topic of investing for your future. Because let's be real, I know we all want to retire at like 45. 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I think my first credit card I opened when I was 18, it was a Discover card, and I wanted to buy an iPod, and it was like the biggest purchase I would ever make in my life. Or so I thought. Yeah. And I remember the, the credit card max was like $200 and I put like $120 on it. And yeah. every single day of my life until that credit card was paid off, that's all I could think about. It was like yeah. 60 bucks month to month to month. And then I started understanding how it works. But I'm a big benefits for travel cards kind of a girl. Like yes, it's free. free. It's free. so crazy. Like my flight to London next week, I got a round trip. I'm paying $0, 40,000 credit card points, which yeah. if you get a credit card and you sign up for the bonus, you can get like 80,000 points, 40,000 yeah. points. So I'm basically just hacking the system. But the key is, I always say like, try to pay in full every month. Do you guys say that as well? A hundred percent. You have to pay the statement balance in full every month or you're incurring late fees, you're in incurring the interest, which could be 18 to 30%. It's ridiculous number. So yes, always, always, always pay it off. Um, and that also helps your credit score. And then the other little tip is like your iPod example, okay, your credit limit was 200 bucks and you put 120 on it. The best way to build your credit score is not use a lot of your credit limit. So they say 30%. That's the like rule of thumb. That's hard when you're building credit and you only have a $200 credit limit. Like, what are you going to buy? You know, as you get older and you have more history on your card, then it'll be, it's more doable to only put 30% on your cards. And then one more thing on credit cards is every year you should update your income on their website because that increases your credit limit. Right. Which is good and also scary because, again, it, yeah. you increase your credit <laughs> you don't limit. You want it to be too high. <laughs> you don't want to use that credit limit. Every time I get notices, I kind of ignore it. I have this saying, like, got to act broke to stay rich. I <laughs> grew up with that, like, poor girl brain. And it doesn't yeah. matter what happens in my finances. I still look at it like that. I think also being entrepreneurial, and I'm so curious how you feel about this when you own your business, Mm -hmm. The financial world changes a lot because you're not getting a paycheck where taxes are getting removed, right? Like you're really more hands-on with how you pay your taxes. Are you paying quarterlies? And when you have a company that changes the game. So how did your relationship with money change as just like a normal woman to being a CEO of a yeah. financial company? Yeah. 
it totally changed. Um, I was so used to that stable paycheck from a company for 10 years and to have that go away is a really scary thing. I'm constantly, it's like a different type of stress. It's, it's, I am constantly thinking about how am I funding my business and what is the cost of me running this business and how do we have that money set aside in the bank for the business going forward. We're not making any money right now, so we don't have to worry about quarterly taxes. <laughs> we will, but what I tell our entrepreneurs, we have just tons of entrepreneurs who use Penny, is you need sort of like more time spent proactively managing your money when you run a business because you're, you have to be setting aside that tax money out of the income you're making from your business and constantly rerunning the numbers to figure out okay, if we've made this much, how much do I need to set aside for the government and making those payments? And that's a hard thing to do. You know, once you got the money in the bank, you don't want to give it back to, you don't want to give it to anybody. Girl, <laughs> I know. Get a paycheck, you know, that's all yours. Like you're not giving it to anyone. So that's a really, that was a hard mindset shift, but it's all doable once you have the information and you start, you know, building these best practices in your mind. Right. It is a different way that you need to go about things as an entrepreneur. I remember the first year that I started working and like making my own money. I was like, wow, this is this is great. But then and then the tax bill comes and I'm like, ah! and then the scary part is it's a blessing and a curse. The more money you make, the more money right. you owe. So even if you have an amazing year, I think all of my entrepreneurial friends relate with this. Like you have a good year, but then you, you're like, <gasps> you know, like shocked at the amount of taxes that you have to pay. Okay. Yep. And you really need to inform yourself because there are ways of hacking that as well. Not that you could evade taxes, but like reinvesting it in other companies and things like yep. that, which is how wealthy people have done it for centuries. So I always like to read books and I'm always like educating myself on it. Cause again, I didn't learn this with anybody in my family. All the trade secrets are passed through whisper networks and you know, historically people in business and investing have been men. So it's, it's, it's something that, you know, we as women have to like really educate ourselves on because you know, it's all new, but you know, the beauty of owning a business is you do have the opportunity to have more tax deductions, all the expenses you spend on your business, you know, you can net against what you're making. And like you said, there are a lot of things you can reinvest it in your own business, reinvest it in other businesses. There are a lot of cool things that you can do, but it's, it's all about getting that information and, you know, just stepping into the power you have as a person running your own business, or if you're not running, even, even as someone who works at a company, you know, no one's going to invest for you. You have to do it yourself. And it's a really scary thing and making, just diving head first into it. You realize it's not as hard as the world makes it out to be. It's just the information was never given to you. So it's like learning a new language essentially. And I love learning languages. And I think that's <laughs> why I was always excited to learn about finance. Where do you get your money knowledge? Well, I luckily worked in finance for 10 years. So I learned everything from my job. And what I did, I, I worked at Goldman Sachs for 10 years in investing for wealthy families. You know, you learn everything, like all of the different ways that people have made their money, spent their money, invest their money. And so it's really, it was on the job training for me. 
Um, and uh, now we are putting all of that information into a site for people who are pre-wealth because it's sort of crazy. There are like a, not, there are very limited resources out there. And who wants to read a book or a blog? Like you just want to be told, okay, you make X, go do this. <laughs> I know there's so much information that it's overwhelming. It is. And it's also like people are making money in the most creative ways today. So even if you do have a book, I have these books that have helped me understand the basics, but it still doesn't answer my particular problem of yep. like, I'm a content creator and I make money on a bajillion different platforms. And mm -hmm. what is my best case scenario to invest or pay taxes? Like this is yeah. all new information. So I love that you're working on creating a platform for that content in one place. And I want to get to the woman of it all. Let's talk about yeah. women and money for a second. Why do you think that studies show that women struggle so much to talk about money or take control over their finances? Lack of education. It's, it's the same thing that we've been talking about. We, you know, we're not taught it in school. So, and women are more educated than men even. But if it's not taught in school, then of course, women are going to shy away from something that they don't know. And additionally, like the data shows, I don't know if this is true in real life, but the data shows that women are more risk averse than men. And investing requires you to take risk. And so I think where the, the trouble lies is, you know, the media and the world talks about investing as like, you need to eat risk for breakfast. You need to buy crypto and NFTs and we need to do all these crazy things. You need to day trade. And that's not the case. And so we just, we need more sort of um, language in the world that talks about investing in a, in a lower risk way, which is completely possible because women are just so practical. I mean, they hold two thirds of student debt. They have to pay their debt. So how could they be thinking about investing in finances when they're just trying to pay their debt, right? They're very practical. Like, okay, I'm gonna do the safe things to make this all work. When in reality, that's actually hurting us because we now have this massive wealth gap we're staring at. Women are gonna retire with 32 cents to every dollar a man has, even though, they're the majority of the workforce, they're more educated and they're incredible investors because they're, they, they're not investing because they're shying away from it because I think it just is viewed upon as being super risky when in fact it's actually not. And it's, it's more risky not to invest because you're never gonna make that money. You're, and, and that's what we need. We need more women with more money. The irony is that if you're saying that women hold two thirds of the student loan debt, that means that women are the ones that are either going to very expensive colleges or just going to college in general, probably because we were told you need to get a good education, you need to get a great job. So it's almost like we're falling into this trap of trying to mend an issue, but we're actually getting caught in a bigger issue because of the loans at the end of the tunnel. Correct. Correct. We were told education is going to solve the problem. You know, you should work more you should have a career you should well okay but at what cost right it's the trillions of dollars of a cost yeah so then what is the solution okay. 
I'm always thinking, what is the solution? Like, what do we do with this information so that we're not so frail and losing all hope? Yeah, I look, I don't think the answer is don't go to school because I love that the majority of the workforce is women now. That's like really good thing. I think the answer is women need to invest earlier in life. When you're 22 years old, even if you're like me and you, we can't make the numbers work. You can barely pay rent and scrap by putting $100, $200 in an investment account, a retirement account, and getting it invested. That starts building your wealth so much sooner because time is on your side. The way investing works is you need a really long time horizon. And so I want every 22-year-old woman, and I don't care if you have debt and you're making debt payments, to start investing younger because that that's what'll solve it. That's what grows your net worth. That's what builds the bigger nest egg for you later. So you can pay off your loans. You can retire earlier. Women are living longer, so we need more money. That's the solution. We just need more women investing in earlier and that requires information. Not Your Average Joe, tip number six of all of the financial books that I've read or podcasts that I've listened to or research that I've done, it is very clear to see that the number one thing about investing is starting sooner than later because of compounding. If somebody puts a little bit of money into their investment account every month, starting at age 19, they're gonna be doing much better than somebody who starts at age 30 with a much higher amount. Because compounding means that the gains that have been earned from your initial investment get reinvested. So it's like money makes money. So don't wait. So let's give them some information. All things 401k, talk to us about retirement and investing in this long-term way. First of all, I think it's really funny because you hear the word retirement and you're 22 and you're like, why the hell do I need to be thinking about retirement at 22? That's what everyone tells me. And um, it is arguably the best way to build wealth over time, whether it's a 401k or an IRA. A 401k is if you work at a big company, they will offer you a retirement account. Everyone working at a company should take advantage. They usually give you some free money when you they match your contribution. So, you, so that's another way to increase the amount of income you're getting. You should set up that 401k, put a few hundred dollars in. If you put $300 in a month at 22, you will retire with almost $1.2 million. And what age are we talking about? If you start at 22 and you retire at 65, you will be a millionaire simply by putting yeah. $300, $300 and investing it. That's the beauty. If you wait till you're 30, you have to put 650 a month in. If you wait till you're 40, it's almost 1500 because the time when you invest the return, the investment returns compound over time. And that's the beauty of it. You also get the tax savings. You just have to, you say, you end up saving way less than you needed to if you started later. So um, if you don't have a 401k, you don't work at a company, you're an entrepreneur like me or you, there is an account called an IRA, individual retirement account. There's a Roth or a traditional. These are, they name these things ridiculous things. Apparently they name them after like the senators that push the bills through the IRS or whatever. I'm like, wish I, we could rename them because it's like, what, what are you saying? Um, a Roth IRA or traditional IRA, you can put up to 6,000 in every year. You do it on your own. You don't need to work for a company. 
again, same thing. You invest it. The compound interest over time, that's what gets you to that nest egg when you retire. And no one wants to work forever. So it's so, so, so important that you know, you figure out how to get that few hundred dollars when you're the youngest possible, your future self will thank you so much. <laughs> right. And I think that's the asterisk that we need to put on this conversation, that it's not necessarily how much money you invest. It's the sooner, the better. Yes, correct. There are charts yeah. that if you start investing at 20, but you invest far less, as opposed to starting investing at 25 or 30 <laughs> with a lot more. The money will grow because of compounding. And this is where compounding is our friend because when it's compounding debt, it is our foe. Mm -hmm. It's so true. And what is the difference between Roth IRA and a standard IRA? There's a limit on the Roth IRA that you can make with your income, correct? Correct. So a Roth IRA is an after-tax account, which means you don't get any tax benefit today. Like... If you were to put it in a traditional, that lowers your tax bill, which is a cool thing. But the beauty of a Roth is when you take the money out, when you're 65, you pay zero taxes. Whereas a regular, a traditional, you know, 401k or an IRA, you have to pay taxes when you start taking out the money. Now, um, people always ask me, okay, then which should you do? Uh, Young people, I always say Roth because you're gonna have way more money, you know, in it when you retire at 65, like millions of dollars and to not pay taxes on that is super cool. Um, but yes, the government limits how much you can make. So if you're single, um, you can only contribute to a Roth if you make less than 140,000 a year. If you're married, it's 220-ish thousand. They change the number every year. So you should go to the IRS website to look. But when you're 22, you're not making 140 or 220. You're making 50. So then that is the time to take advantage of an account like that. 401k is with a big company. You can contribute more. You can contribute up to 20,000 if you want. And some companies let you pick between traditional and Roth actually now. Then there's a traditional IRA and a Roth IRA. Traditional or Roth are both for entrepreneurs, don't work for a company. Um, The traditional, no limits. So you can put in 6,000 every year. Doesn't matter what you make. Got it. Okay, cool. I know it's super complicated and we have tons of blog posts on this too. We might need to do a whole separate show on like these three accounts. They don't make it easy. This is the this is what pisses me off. It's like, okay, why don't we just talk in English and like make this simple? I know. This is like <laughs> definitely another language which I geek yeah. out over. We have inundated everyone with information, but before we go, please tell us more about Penny Finance and what can we find on the site? Sure. So when I explain Penny to people, it is basically a fully digital online tool that tells you all the money secrets without the bullshit. You go in and put in your numbers and it gives you tailored financial advice based on your financial situation. And it was built intentionally for women who are pre-wealth because I always said, I wish I had something like this that just told me what to do and validated what I was doing 
when I was going through all of those anxious years of like, holy shit, how am I gonna pay the bills and get out from the, under this debt? What I wanna do is just take out the stress of all of this so women can go conquer the world and follow their dreams and not have to worry about money ever again. Brilliant. We definitely need a part two. We got a lot more <laughs> money stuff to talk about. I would love to do a part two. Oh, we really need it. I know. I'm like, this is my favorite other language to speak. Yeah. You're so knowledgeable. And um, I just think it's so great that you self-taught yourself all of the things because that's sort of what need is needed in this world right now. And that is it for today, my beautiful people. If you like the show or learn something new, don't forget to rate the show five stars and share it with somebody who could find this information helpful. I'm really out here just trying to make sure that my minorities, my black and brown people, my women are all equipped with as much information as possible because we deserve financial freedom as well. Everyone does, to be honest, but it really does start with this education and a plan of attack. Thank you again to Chrissy Cole. Don't forget to check her out. I'll link all the information down below for Penny Finance. And tune in next week as I sit down with a really smart woman. We talk about all things manifestation with science backing it, quantum physics. We talk about this idea of chasing success and what happens when you get everything that you thought you wanted and somehow you're still not fulfilled. And I'm gonna have a special episode about journaling coming up. So I have a Google Forms link down below where you could submit your writing because the world needs to hear from you. This episode was produced and edited by me and the sound engineering was done by Jeff Morrow. For more of me, follow me on Instagram, Joe underscore Franco. And the pod has an Instagram account too, like I said earlier. Now your average Joe pod. And I'ma see y'all soon. Have a beautiful above average day. Hey yo, come listen to my girl, man. What you doing? Shit. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.